Chapter Two of Rose of the River by Kate Douglas Wiggin. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rose of the River by Kate Douglas Wiggin. Chapter Two Old Kennebec. It was just seven o'clock that same morning when Rose Wiley smoothed the last wrinkle from her dimity counterpane, picked up a shred of corn-husk from the spotless floor under the bed, slapped a mosquito on the window-sill, removed all signs of murder with a moist towel, and before running down to breakfast cast a frowning look at her pincushion. Almira, otherwise might Shapley, had been in her room the afternoon before, and disturbed with her careless hand the pattern of Rose's pins. They were kept religiously in the form of a Maltese cross, and if while she was extricating one from her clothing there had been an alarm of fire, Rose would have stuck the pin in its appointed place in the design, at the risk of losing her life. Entering the kitchen with her light step, she brought the morning sunshine with her. The old people had already engaged in differences of opinion, but they commonly suspended open warfare in her presence. There were the usual last things to be done for breakfast offices that belonged to her as her grandmother's assistant. She took yesterday's soda-biscuits out of the steamer, where they were warming and softening, brought an apple-pie and a plate of seed-cakes from the pantry, settled the coffee with a piece of dried fish-skin and an egg-shell, and transferred some fried potatoes from the spider to a covered dish. "'Did you remember the meat, Grandpa? We're all out,' she said, as she began buttoning a stiff collar around his reluctant neck. "'Remember?' Land, yes! I wish to I could ever forget anything. The butcher says he's about tired of traveling over the country looking for critters to kill, but if he finds anything he'll be up along in the course of a week. He ain't a real smart butcher, cause Higgins ain't. Land, Rose, don't button that dicky clean through my epidermis. I'll have to spot starch collars in this life on account of you and your grandmother being so chock full of style. But I hope to the Lord I shan't have to wear him in another world. You won't, his wife responded, with the snap of a dish-towel. Or if you do, they'll wilt with the heat. Rose smiled, but the soft hand with which she tied the neckcloth about the old man's withered neck pacified his spirit, and he smiled knowingly back at her as she took her seat at the breakfast-table spread near the open kitchen door. She was a dazzling Rose and, it is to be feared, a wasted one, for there was no one present to observe her clean pink calico, and the still more subtle note struck in the green ribbon which was tied round her throat, the ribbon that formed a sort of calyx, out of which sprang the flower of her face, as fresh and radiant as if it had bloomed that morning. "'Give me my coffee terrible quick,' said Mr. Wiley. "'I must be down the bridge, for they start dog-warping the side-jam.' "'I notice you're always due at the bridge on churnin' days,' remarked his spouse, testily. "'Tain't me as a pointin' drivin' days at Edgewood,' replied the old man. "'The boys'll have a terrible job this year. The logs are ricked up just like Rose's jackstraws. I never see em so terrible ricked up in all my experience. And Lijah Dennett don't know no more about pickin' a jam than Cooper's cow. Terrible thought in his ways, too.' Can't take a mite of advice. I was telling him how to go to work on that bung that's formed between the Gretgray Rock and the shore. 
the awfulest place to bung that there is between this and Biddeford, and says he, Look here, I've been boss on this river for twelve year, and I'll be doggoned if I'm going to be taught my business by any man. This ain't no river, says I, as you'd know, says I, if you'd ever lived in the Kennebec. Pity you had stayed on it, says he. I wish to the land I had, says I. And then I come away, for my tongue's so terrible spry and so custic that I knew if I stopped any longer I should stir up strife. There's some folks that'll sit on addled eggs year in and year out, as if there weren't good fresh ones being laid every day, and Lige Dennett's one of em when it comes to river driving. There's lots of folks as have made a good living by minding their own business, observed the still sententious Mrs. Wiley as she speared a soda biscuit with her fork. Minding your own business is a terrible selfish trade, responded her husband loftily. If your neighbor's more ignorant than what you are, particularly if he's as ignorant as Cooper's cow, you ought, as a Kennebuck man and a Christian, to set him on the right track, though it's always a terrible risk of thing to do. Rose's grandfather was called, by the irreverent younger generation, sometimes Terrible Wiley, and sometimes Old Kennebec, because of the frequency with which these words appeared in his conversation. There were not wanting those of late who dubbed him Uncle Ananius, for reasons too obvious to mention. After a long, indolent, tolerably truthful and useless life, he had, at seventy-five, lost sight of the dividing line between fact and fancy, and drew on his imagination to such an extent that he almost staggered himself when he began to indulge in reminiscence. He was a feature of the Edgewood Drive, being always present during the five or six days that it was in progress, sometimes sitting on the river-bank, sometimes leaning over the bridge, sometimes reclining against the butt-end of a huge log, but always chewing tobacco and expectorating to incredible distances, as he criticised and damned impartially all the expedients in use at the particular moment. "'I want to stay down by the river this afternoon,' said Rose. "'Ever so many of the girls will be there, and all my sewing is done up. If Grandpa will leave the horse for me, I'll take the driver's lunch to them at noon, and bring the dishes back in time to wash them before supper.' "'I suppose you can go if the rest do,' said her grandmother. "'Though it's an awful lazy way of spending an afternoon. When I was a girl there was no such dawdling going on, I can tell you. Nobody thought of looking at the river in them days. There wasn't time.' "'But it's such fun to watch the logs,' Rose exclaimed. "'Next to dancing, the greatest fun in the world.' "'Specially as all the young men in the town will be there, watching too,' was the grandmother's reply. Eben Brooks and Richard Bean got home yesterday with their doctor's diplomas in their pockets. Mrs. Brooks says Eben stood forty-nine in a class of fifty-five, and seemed considerable proud of him, and I guess it is the first time he ever stood anywheres but at the foot. I tell you, when these fifty-five new doctors get scattered over the country, there'll be considerable many folks keeping house underground. Dick Bean's going to stop a spell with Roof and Steve Waterman. That'll make one more to play in the river." Rufus ain't hardly got his working legs on yet, allowed Mr. Wiley. But Steve's all right. He's a terrible smart driver, and terrible reckless, too. He'll take all the chances there is. Though to a man that's lived on the Kennebec, there ain't what can rightly be called any terrible chances on the Sacco. He'd better be tending to his farm, objected Mrs. Wiley. His hay is all in, Rose spoke up quickly. 
and he only helps on the river when the farm work isn't pressing. Besides, though it's all play to him, he earned his two dollars and a half a day. He don't care about the two and a half, said her grandfather. He just can't keep away from the logs. There's some that can't. When I first moved here from Gardner, where the climate never suited me, the climate of any place where you have regular work never did and never will suit you, remarked the old man's wife. But the interruption received no comment. Such mistaken views of his character were too frequent to make any impression. As I was saying, Rose, he continued, when we first moved here from Gardner, we lived neighbor to the Watermans. Steve and Rufus was little boys then, always playing with a couple of wild cousins of theirn, considerable older. Steve would scare his mother pretty nigh to death, stealing away to the mill to ride on the carriage, aside of the log that's been sawed, hitching clean out over the river, and then jerking back most into the jaws of the machinery. He never had any common sense to spare, even when he was a young one, remarked Mrs. Wiley. And I don't see as all the academy education his father throwed away on him has changed him much. And with this observation she rose from the table and went to the sink. Steve ain't nobody's fool dissented the old man. But he's kind of daft about the river. When he was little, he was allers building dams in the brook, and sailing chips, and running on the logs, allers chopping up stickins and rafting em together in the pond. I calculate Miss Waterman died considerable for her time, just from fright, looking out at her windows and seeing her boys slipping between the logs and getting their daily doosin'. She couldn't understand it. And there's a heap of things women folks never do and never can understand, just cause they air women folks. One of the things is men, I suppose, interrupted Mrs. Wiley. Men in general, but more particularly husbands, assented old Kennebec. Howsomever, there's another thing they don't and can't never take in, and that's sport. Steve does river driving as he would horse racing, or tiger shooting, or tightrope dancing. And he always did it from a boy. When he was about twelve or fifteen, he used to help the river drivers spring and fall, regular. He couldn't do nothing but shin up and down the rocks after hammers and hatchets and ropes, but he was terrible pleased with his job. Step and fetch it, they used to call him them days. Step and fetch it, Waterman. Good name for him yet, came in acid tones from the sink. He's still steppin' and fetchin'. Only it's Rose that's doing the driving now. I'm not driving anybody that I know of, answered Rose with heightened color, but with no loss of her habitual self-command. Then, when he graduated from errands, went on the crafty old man, who knew that when breakfast ceased, churning must begin. Steve used to get seventy-five cents a day helping clear up the river, if you can call this here silver streamlet a river. He'd pick off a log here and there, and send it afloat and dig out them that had get hitched in the rocks, and tidy up the banks just like spring house cleaning. If he'd had had any kind of boss, and had been trained on the Kennebec, he'd have made a terrible smart driver, Steve would. He'll be drownded, that's what'll become of him, prophesied Mrs. Wiley, especially if Rose encourages him in such silly foolishness as riding logs from his house down to Arn dark nights. Seeing as how Steve built you a nice pig pen last month, "'Pears to me you might have a good word for him now and then, mother,' remarked old Kennebec, reaching for his second piece of pie. "'I wasn't a mite deceived by that pig-pen, no more'n I was by Jed Towell's hen-coop, nor Ivory Dunn's well-curb, 
nor Pitt Packard's shed steps. If you had ever kept up your buildings yourself, Rose's bows wouldn't have to do their courtin' with carpenter's tools. It's the pig pen and the hen coop you want to keep your eye on, mother, not the motives of them as made em. It's terrible unsettling to inspect folks' motives too terrible close. Riding a log is no more to Stephen riding a horse, so he says, interposed Rose, to change the subject. But I tell him that a horse doesn't revolve under you and goes sideways at the same time that it is going forwards. Log riding ain't no trick at all to a man of spirit, said Mr. Wiley. There's a few places in the Kennebec where the water's too shallow to let the logs float, so we used to build a flume, and the logs would whiz down like ears shot from a bow. The boys used to collect by the side of that there flume to see me ride a log down, and I've watched em drop in a dead faint when I was spun by the crowd. But land, you can't drown to some folks, not without you tie nail kegs to their head and feet and drop em in the falls. I've rid logs down the Binus Rapids of the Kennebec and never lost my head. I remember well the year of the Great Freshet. I rid a log from— There, there, father, that'll do, said Mrs. Wiley decisively. I'll put the cream in the churn, and you just work off some of your steam by bringing the butter for us afore you start for the bridge. It don't do no good to brag afore your own women folks. Work goes considerable better in stories at every place except the loafer's bench at the tavern. And the baffled raconteur— who had never done a piece of work cheerfully in his life, dragged himself reluctantly to the shed, where before long one could hear him moving the dasher up and down sedately to his favourite churning tune of— Broad is the road that leads to death, and thousands walk together there, but wisdom shows a narrow path, with here and there a traveler. End of chapter 2